So here we are, we're, we're in a, uh, a series and we are kind of wrapping this thing up. But here's, here's what happens. Occasionally when you go through life, you have these things that you really wonder about. And you have sometimes a sticking point and sometimes something that is very hard and very difficult for us to reconcile. And really, there's no, no way around it, but here's one question that we continually find ourselves up against, and it's this. How can a good God allow bad things to happen? How, how can a God that, that created everything and called it good, how could he allow something bad to happen? And, and for, for many for many, and it may be the case for you, for many, they're, they're the tipping point of faith, the tipping point of whether I'm going to go all in or whether I'm going to put my hand on the door to walk out, is in struggling with that very question, that very issue. How can a good God allow bad things to happen? But when we ask that question, when we ask it, most of the time, the focus is on the things that are on the outside. It's on the things that we watch, the things that we assess, the things that we call bad. The things are on the outside. But my next question is this, have you ever done anything bad? Yes, good, good. Self-awareness is good. Right? In fact, if, we, if anyone felt like they needed to say no to that, we would say, well, there you go. You just lied in church. Because <laughs> I know for sure I have done bad things, and I have a pretty good hunch that you do too. In fact, I'm pretty sure that this room is full of sinners right now. So grab your purses, get them a little bit closer. It's okay. <laughs> what I have not, though, encountered is somebody, when they're struggling and they're doubting uh, God and, and they're, they're having difficulties with this problem of good and evil, this bad, evil issue that happens in the world, I, I, I don't really run into people that kind of put this tension based on their tendencies. In fact, I, I don't know that I've ever heard, how could a good God allow me to happen, not me, you, well, us, right? How, how could God allow me to happen? Or, or how about this one? If God is good, he would have done something about me by now. Because in fact, we say if God is good, he would do something about the problem of world hunger by now, right? And this way of thinking kind of leads us into these circular arguments and, and, and brings us into these things that actually put us in a spot where, where things really don't have a whole lot of meaning. And in fact, we, we, got, we kind of get in this argument like this. Listen, if I, I don't believe God exists because I exist. I don't believe God exists because evil exists, right? And so if, if we're really getting to the end of the argument, we go, I don't believe God exists because I exist. And the only way for God uh, for God to, for this to be proven, if, if God is good and evil exists and I am evil, that means that God would have to take me out of the equation. If I'm out of the equation, then I don't exist, so it doesn't matter why God exists, right? I know, that made my head hurt too. <sighs> okay, so here's the deal. If God is good, then why do bad things?
things happen. And we've been going through this series of the Gospel of John. In fact, we've been, been learning that, God, that John wrote down an account, an account of what he had experienced as he followed Jesus. He wrote it down, and we call it the Gospel of John, and we read through that. And, and John knew what Jesus would say in response to that question, how can evil and good coexist? And he would raise our eyes in this conversation, and he'd say, um, listen, I need you to hold on just one second. Because I saw something, I experienced something that will most likely help you. Because I saw God in a body coexist with evil men. I saw God in a body walk side by side with evil men. And he did not prove that he was God by eliminating evil. In fact, he did something else. And here's where it really turns. It says, really, instead of eliminating me, he went to work eliminating the evil in me. So as we, work, as we journey with John through his eyewitness account, there's, there's seven signs. And here we are. This is number six. Number six today and, and, and we're just following through as we go through the book of John. And we're in, we left off in Jerusalem last time. One day, one day there, as they're in the temple, the leaders, they walked up to Jesus and they, they, you know, they're always looking, they're always asking, always trying to figure out a way where they could get him to be so clear that they would have an opportunity, a reason to take him out. And so as he's in the temple, the leaders come up to him. One of them asks, listen, how, how long, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? How long are you going to keep us wandering and scratching our heads? If you are the Christ, if you are the Messiah, would you tell us plainly? Just come right out and say it already. To which Jesus answered, I told you. And you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. So Jesus says to them, basically, I not only told you, I showed you. I not only said these things, I showed you these things. I have given you all the evidence that you need. I've given you everything that you need, but you will not embrace it. So then in this in this following John through the, the life of Jesus, we come to this place where Jesus went all in with what he was going to do next. He goes all in. And he gave the entire community a sign. And this sign was so absolutely undeniable. It wasn't sleight of hand. It wasn't anything but miraculous. It was so undeniable, it would force the hand of those who are willfully blind. We talked about them, right? Those who, who saw but chose not to believe. Those who saw but chose not to say that this actually means that this is the Christ, the Messiah. And here's where we go. We jump in in John chapter 11. 
starting in verse 1. Now a certain man was ill. Lazarus of Bethany, the village, from the Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister, Martha. So in this, in this scenario, Jesus is about one day's walk away from where Lazarus is. Jesus is about one day away from Lazarus. So the sisters sent to him, they sent a messenger to him saying, Lord, he who you love is ill. In fact, there was such a relationship there that they didn't have to say anything else. They didn't have to say, hey, Lord, there's this guy in Bethany. His name is Lazarus and he is, will. They, is ill. Instead, they just said, Lord, he whom you love is, is ill. But Jesus, but Jesus, when he heard it, said, this illness does not lead to death. But what they didn't know and what we will soon find out is that Lazarus, he was already dead. He had died as the messenger was on the way. He says this illness will not lead to death. It is for the glory of God. To which we go sickness for God's glory? Sickness for, for the glory of God? Bad, bad things happening to, to good people? So in this, what we learn is that according to Jesus, bad things, bad things do not disprove God. But there is more to it than this. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And here we kind of pull back this evil, this illness, this, 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 this problem. It was left unattended because it had a purpose. And in this, Jesus creates a new category of sickness. God's glory, sickness for the glory of God. And as John writes the account, he gives us a little footnote because in this moment, as we feel the tension of it, we're going to realize that this isn't how it feels at the moment. But John says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary, and Lazarus. And why did John feel that he needed to put that in there? Because to be truthful, it didn't look like it. To be truthful, it, it, it didn't feel like it. But John, he wanted to make sure that we knew that Jesus loved them. Because we know from our experience when bad things happen, when difficulty comes and it knocks on the door, when bad things happen, sometimes it doesn't look like God loves us. Sometimes it doesn't feel like it. And John wrote that in there for you. 
And he wrote that in there for me. So when he had heard that Lazarus was ill, Jesus jumped up, girded up his, his robe, and he ran to the next city, right? When he heard Lazarus was ill, he stayed for two more days. And in that, we don't, there's no category for that for us. The one you love is ill, and you stayed where you are. But see, Jesus was up to something. He had a purpose in mind. In fact, you, you, may, you may find that he created some space for us to understand something huge about who God is. So then after these two days, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. The last time they were in Judea, things didn't, they didn't really go that great. They didn't go so well. And so the disciples are going, okay, um, Rabbi, Jews, you remember those guys? Yeah. Hey, they were just now seeking to stone you, and you want to go there again. They were raising an objection. They had a real issue with what he wanted to do. You want us to go back where they just tried to stone you. How about this? You go back. We'll stay here. We'll mind what's going on here. We'll take care of it all. You go back. We'll stay here. And so with that... Rabbi, you want us to go? <laughs> you want us to go there again? And Jesus, in answering their question, does what Jesus normally does. He answers their question with a question. Do you have anybody in your life like that? My wife, my son. <laughs> Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? To which they go, huh? Are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. And Jesus explains to his disciples basically this. Right now, you are living in 12 hours of opportunity. In other words, I, I want you to follow the light of the world while there is still light in this world. I want you to follow the light of the world while the light of the world is still in this world. Because, guys, I don't know, uh, Andrew... Peter, listen, there's going to be a time where the light of the world is no longer with you. In fact, you will never see more clearly than you do right now. But if you do not follow the light of the world, you're going to stumble. You're going to stumble around. You're going to be aimless. You're going to be without purpose. You're going to stumble around and you're going to, going to live in this world that you can't find meaning in and you're trying to make sense of it. 
and you're trying to make sense of something like this, like good and evil, you're going to be stumbling around in the darkness. He says, listen, guys, if you stay here, if you stay here and you don't go with me there and you live in your fear, you will live to regret. You'll live to regret it. You'll stumble around and you'll be in the darkness trying to make sense of this world. You're trying to make sense of, of life apart from the author of life. You will ultimately... What you'll ultimately do is you'll ultimately find yourself in the pits of despair. So after saying these things, Jesus said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. So Jesus was basically telling the guys, hey, listen, guys, who's in? Who wants to go? Who, are, are you going to come this time? Are you going to go? Let's, let's go. Let's, let's get it all together. Let's go. But in that moment, as they heard what he said, he said, oh, our friend Lazarus has just fallen asleep, and I'm going to go wake him up. They thought that they might need to explain some medical things to him. They say, Lord, if he's just asleep, he's going to get better. If he's just asleep, you, Lord, I don't know if you know this, but when you're sick and you sleep, your body it helps, it heals, it recovers. To which Jesus says, oh, thanks guys. Thank you for sharing that information. That is groundbreaking news. I had no idea. You know what? On second thought, instead of going there, what if we grab our towels, we run down to the beach, and let's go look for some shells. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that they thought that he meant he was just taking a nap. But Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus, Lazarus has died. And and, and what comes next? What comes next as, as Jesus as Jesus speaks, as he as he kind of fleshes this out for them, what comes next is terrible. It's it's horrible if you're Martha, if you're if you're Mary, if you're Lazarus. But what comes next is, is marvelous. It's wonderful for the future generations. And it's wonderful for you. It's wonderful for me. He says, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there. He says, it was for your sake. It was for, it was for my sake. It was for the sake. It was for the sake of every parent who has buried a child. What he said, it was for the sake. It was for the sake of every person who has buried a spouse. It was for the sake of every child who's buried a parent too early. Because what he said was for all of us. Jesus creates a sign for which there was no category. And this is a brand new sign. 
and they'd wrestled, they'd wrestled with this very issue of how can I trust God? How can I trust God when things aren't good? How can I trust God when I cannot see the good at all? Lazarus had died. This is so, Jesus says, that you may believe. Let us get up. Let's go to him. And I don't know about you, but sometimes we have a tendency to read God's word and sanitize it. Make it, you know, holy where it's supposed to be funny. Take some tension out where we aren't comfortable with tension. And I think there's a a bit of sarcasm in what happens next. So Thomas, Thomas said to his fellow disciples, great idea. Let's just all go. We'll die with him. Thomas is basically saying this. I'm going to, let's just, if he's going, let's throw in the towel, guys. If he goes, it's over. Lazarus is dead. If Jesus goes, he's going to die. We might as well just all die together. But meanwhile, meanwhile, back at Bethany, one day's journey away, they're wondering where Jesus is. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. So when Martha, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out and she met him. And she says exactly what we say. And what she does and how she interacts with with Jesus shows us that it's appropriate for us to express what we feel. It's appropriate for us to express what we feel. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. God, you could have done it, but you didn't. And I want you to hear that there's nothing wrong with your faith. When you have emotion like this. There's nothing wrong with your faith when something doesn't go your way and you express it to your heavenly father. But things happen. Things happen to good people. Godly people. Things happen to friend of Jesus, people. Martha says, Lord, if if you'd been here, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, he will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And in that moment, Martha is like, oh, 
Jesus has shifted in preacher mode. Martha said, listen, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. But in that, what, what comes next is so amazing and we miss it. Because we weren't there. And we have not felt that frustration that they did. They had spent time with Jesus. They had followed him. They gave to his ministry. He, was a, he went there for refuge. He spent time with him. He ate with him. He dined with them. All of these things. But Jesus wasn't there to give her a theology lesson. Jesus says, look at me, Martha. I am not asking you to trust in what you've been taught in synagogue. I'm not trusting you to, ta to, to, to trust in those things. I'm asking you, Jesus says, to trust in me. Because, he replies, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and life personified. It's no longer this lofty ideal. I am the resurrection in your midst. What kind of person? What kind of person? Who? Who would say something like that? Jesus says, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who believes in me shall never die. Jesus said that Lazarus would not die, but he did. And in the same way, he says, you will die, but you won't. And it leaves us kind of scratching our heads, but in this moment, he could not be any more clear. Death is simply a door. A door to eternal life. And he says, Martha... Do you believe this? I don't know. That's a lot to believe. That's a whole lot to believe. Am I right? And Martha, she felt the same way. But she replied, yes, Lord. Because Martha knew what we should hold on to. That I don't have to understand everything. I don't have to understand it. I don't have to understand everything to believe something. And she goes to what she knows in that moment. I don't have to understand it. Yes, Lord. Yes, I believe it. And I believe that you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the Son of God who has come into this world. Yes, I believe. 
And Martha steps away, goes back, and lets Mary know that Jesus is in town. And Jesus has a very similar conversation with Mary. But in this, Jesus saw Mary weeping. And the Jews that had come with her, they were also weeping. And he was deeply moved. He was deeply moved in his spirit, and he was greatly troubled. And Jesus asks, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. And so Jesus makes his way to the outside of the tomb and he pauses. He already knew what he was going to do. He knew what was going to happen, but he entered into the emotion of the moment. And he shows us what it looks like to see and experience divine empathy. John was there. All the apostles, the 12, they were there. Peter was there. And he would later write to us. He'd say, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. And he was able to say that because he saw it. Peter was able to say, God cares for you. Jesus cares for you because I saw it. And John recorded it. And what John recorded next is not an insignificant detail. And I'm thankful that when they took the scriptures and they, and they kind of divided them out between chapters and verses, that they decided this one should stand on its own. It's not an insignificant detail. John said, Jesus wept. Jesus entered in. Jesus stepped into the moment of the pain, the disappointment, and everything. He entered in and he helped us to understand that Jesus cares not only for them, but for you. And the Jews, they saw this, they saw the outpour of emotion, the empathy, and they said, See, see how he loved him. But then the others, they said, could not he who opened the eyes of a blind man also have kept this man from dying? And that's our question, right? Why? Why didn't he do something? Because if he could have, he would have. But since he didn't, he can't. And as it turned out, he could have, but he didn't. Instead, what Jesus did was he chose to condense eternity. It, eternity condensed in a single afternoon. He condensed all the pain all the disappointment, all the fear, the anger, the unanswered prayer, the faith, the tears of God. And then, and then finally, 
in the resolution of the entire life experience for all of mankind in a few hours in one afternoon so that future generations could live with hope. Jesus pointed us to the hope, to the hope that we will find was in him all along. And Jesus deeply moved again. He came to the tomb. And then what he did next, it, it shocked everyone. And he said, take away the stone. The mourners, they went silent, some in shock and, and some in disbelief. And, and Mary and Martha took a collective gasp. And, and Martha, finally, she spoke up and she said, Lord, Lord, by this time, there's going to be an older, for he's been there for four days. L Lord, didn't, didn't you know this? Lord, you're so late. But Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God. So they nod permission, and the stone is pushed back, and then they take a step back. So they took the stone, took it away. Jesus lifted up his eyes, and he said, and he said this, what he said next was for the benefit of those around. It was for the benefit of, of us, the future generations, what he said was so that we can know that he and the Father were, were connected. Jesus said that he and the Father are, he said, he said, Father, I know that you have heard me. And I know, and I know that you always hear me. But I said this on account of these people standing around. So that they may believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out. His hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped in a cloth. He was still in his grave clothes. And Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, Scripture says, therefore, who had come, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed. They believed in him. Now, most skeptics agree that Christianity could not have grown to the numbers that are documented three centuries later, except for, apart from, the explosive growth that they had in the early days. And in this we find that what they saw helped them to believe. So why? Why did so many Judeans believe in Jesus? Why did they follow him? Was it because of faith? No, it was because of the things that they saw. It's because of what they had experienced. Because their seeing had led to believing. Which led to trusting. John didn't write down what he wrote down. 
because it was just an interesting story. He wrote it down. He wrote it down so you could believe. Because what Jesus had manufactured was such indisputable evidence. So undeniable that the opponents of Jesus called a meeting. Because this thing had happened and there's no denying it. We can't call this a parlor trick. We can't call this a mistaken people. What has happened here, there is no denying. And so they decided at that moment that Jesus and Lazarus had died. Why? Because here's what they knew. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And they had no idea. And I think John might have, might have chuckled a bit as he dictated that line. <laughs> if we let him, we don't let Jesus do or keep him from anything. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans, they will come and they will take away both our place, that's the temple, and our nation. But what they didn't know, that is in, in, in Christ, God had come to dwell alongside evil men. He come to dwell alongside evil women. And the light, the light was never so bright. In fact, John recounts the light this way. He said, the light has come into this world. And the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. See, God did not eliminate evil. He did not eliminate the bad he placed it on the shoulders of his son so that you would not perish but have ever, everlasting life. See, John, he was just an eyewitness. But what he saw, he believed. Eventually, eventually John would get his story out, but his story would have an agenda. Because if you had seen what he saw, if you had heard what he had heard, if you had experienced what he had experienced, you would believe what he believed. So John wrote it this way. These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing in him, you may have life in his name. Would you pray with me?